The levels are set. The mics are ready. Testing, testing, one, two, three. So strap yourself in. It's time to go one-on-one with Bill Alexander. Let's go. Hi, everybody. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander, all my friends. Call me Bill, and you're on one-on-one with Bill Alexander. Hope everything's going fine for you on this gorgeous day. No matter where you are, I hope you're enjoying yourself. Well, if I say a three-hour tour, if I say castaways, if I say Gilligan, who do you think of? Bob Denver. Well, guess who I have on the phone video chat with me today as I have Bob's wife, Dreama. Dreama, how are you doing today? Bill Alexander, it is so good to be here with you. Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. I am so glad you could join us today because this is actually a treat for me because I was a big fan of Bob's, not only on Gilligan Island, Gilligan's Island, which I think he is most known for, but mm-hmm. also he was uh, Maynard J or G Krebs on Dobie Gillis. And he Maynard. played Maynard. That's yeah. right. I'm sorry. He played the beatnik on the program. He did. And, and it's interesting that for a gentleman that really has only two characters that he's known for, he is a TV icon, which is amazing. Yes. Well, you know, What's interesting, what a lot of people don't know, those were the two famous characters, absolutely. And Maynard G. Krebs, that one is dear to my heart. I was just a little girl when he was doing that, but my father watched it all the time, which was kind of cool. And um, uh, yes, he was he was the breakout star of The Many Loves of W. Gillis, which was the name of the show right. that uh, Maynard was in. He was the breakout star. He was, he was that era of television's Fonzie. He oh, had that okay. thing. He was like the Fonzie of, of early television. And um, and of course, from that, he got Gilligan's Island. But what people don't know is that Bob had three other series. Mm-hmm. Now, none of them were as popular as the first two. But what we have to understand also is that that was almost unheard of back in those days because you know now an actor i mean there's so many tv channels and so many choices and netflix and prime and all these different things actors can be on like i always use rob lowe as the example because i mean he goes from one series to the next but back in bob's day that was highly unusual to be able to have because there were only three networks you know so if you were doing a show on cbs whether somebody watched your show or not they knew who you were because there weren't that many uh, co- well-known faces on television uh, back in the sixties, you know? So he had five, he had five series altogether. What is amazing to me with Gilligan's Island, especially it only was on the air for three seasons. Right. And it became a part of the fabric of America and TV history because everybody knows that theme song And they know the story behind how this bumbling first mate got them (laughs) lost on this island. And they spent three years trying to figure out how to get off the island, which, again, to me, I think it's amazing that the technology he had, they couldn't figure out how to build a boat. But it was something that made it really interesting. I've got the professor's answer to that. Okay, people people used to ask Bob. Well, if the professor could do a coconut radio and this, that, and the other, why couldn't he fix a hole in the boat? And so Bob would come up with some kind of answer. And one day uh, he and Russell were doing a personal appearance together and Russell was asked that question. And Russell's answer was, if you were stuck on an island with Marianne and Ginger, would you (laughs) fix the boat? So that is the real honest to goodness answer of why it never got fixed. And the thing about Gilligan's Island, even though it was only on three years, we have to remember that back in those days, they did 32 and 33 episodes a season. So it was really probably, what would that be? I can't do math in my head that fast, but it would probably have been more like four seasons worth of shows in today's terms, you know? 
Which makes a lot of sense because we think when we look at that that period of time, we're just looking at the years and we're not looking at the episode. But there were so many different spinoffs from Gilligan's Island to the movies, to the cartoon series, to all of this, that did he ever think that this one character with a guy in a goofy hat and a red shirt was going to be the his signature character? I, I don't think so. I know the show had been on the air 40 or 41 years when Bob passed away. And he was absolutely stunned that it was still on the air, rerunning all over the place, all over the world. Can you imagine how stunned he would be today to oh. know that it's well, been that... rerunning now for 50, it's been on the air for 57 years. He would be flabbergasted. And I think, you know, he told me when, when they made the series, when he chose it, because he, you know, he was offered a lot of scripts after Dobie Gillis. And he chose Gilligan's Island because he wanted to do physical comedy. Okay. He loved it. He always said that with the two, his two most famous shows, he got the best of both worlds because with Dobie Gillis, as you might remember, that was word comedy. Right. It was written by Max Shulman, who was prolific and highly respected. And, and so uh, he got, to, and that's my favorite kind of comedy, which is, I, is why I like Maynard so much. But he got to do word comedy with that one, really smart lines and all that. And then with Gilligan, he chose it because he wanted to do, you know, kind of slapstick, physical, fall down, get hit in the head with a coconut kind of comedy, which he did beautifully. I mean, he was so good at that, you know. And um, the fact that it spun off into cartoons and then there were three movies. And I was in the third movie. I don't know if you know that. No, I didn't realize that. I was. I was an actress. That's how Bob and I met. So I was in the Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan. Okay. And I tell you, if you have to do a Gilligan movie, that was the one to do because the Globetrotters were fantastic. They were so much fun. That was in the days, no offense to the existing Globetrotters, but those were the days of of Geese and Curly and Meadowlark. Meadowlark, yeah. You know, that was, and you and can't that, beat that. And I, I agree with you. That was the golden age of the Globetrotters because they was. were the ones that you always saw on TV. They had their own animated series. They were mm-hmm. everywhere. But yes. I didn't realize you were in that. I remember the movie. So what part did you play? Okay. Do you remember that Mrs. Howell had a social secretary? Okay. Her name was Lucinda. She sat at a desk at the door and would stop everybody who was coming in to see the Howells. Of course, you know, Jim Backus didn't get to do that particular mm-hmm. movie. He wasn't well at the time. So um, I played her social secretary and oh, I got darn. to be a cheerleader. Do you remember when the robots and the Globetrotters played? Yes, yes. Okay, I was the, there was Mrs. Howell, Marianne, uh-huh. uh, the new actress that played Ginger. Played Ginger. Yeah. And myself, we were the four cheerleaders. And um, it was just a, it was such a great experience. And it was hilarious because about five years after we made the movie, Bob and I, we were in Vegas and taking care of our son, who was kind of a newborn. I mean, he was very, very young then. Right. And, um, and Bob was flipping through the channels. And I don't know where he found it. But suddenly there was Harlem Globetrotters on uh-huh. Golden's Island. And he said, honey, you got to come in here. You got to watch it. It's on TV. And we'd not seen it since, you know, the first time it was on. And we sat down and watched it. And we were going like, oh, <laughs> oh, whoa. <laughs> because, you know, Gilligan was a premise that didn't, the rescue maybe stretched out yes. into two hours. Well, but it wasn't a two hour premise. It was really a half hour show. Right. So, you know, and back in those days, special effects, I mean, this was 1981 and special effects were very primitive then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the robots that played basketball with the Globetrotters, they were, you know, guys in in kind of tacky little robot suits going around right. doing this. It was, it was so funny, but it, it's kind of one of those things that it's so bad it's good you know yeah, what it, i mean one of those it's, cult it's, kind of things it's very campy it. is what it is it. yeah exactly it's very campy <clears throat> so how was 
um, Bob's relationship with everybody else? Because you mentioned um, Jim Backus, who, again, had, was a star in his own right before even doing Gilligan's Island, who right. was Mr. Magoo, who did all this stuff and was his own. Alan Hale Jr. came from a famous family. Yeah, and then did. and then the uh, the newbies on there, I guess, would have been Don Wells, Tina Louise and Russell Johnson. Because they did some stuff, but it really wasn't as groundbreaking as, um, and even Natalie, uh, Mrs. Howell, which I just named just escaped me. Natalie Schaefer. Natalie Schaefer. I I got the first name right. I just forgot the last name. But I think you were good. (laughs) (laughs) But with that, how was it to work with this ensemble cast? Because they never missed a beat. You know, they really loved each other. And um, now I will, I will sort of, uh, I, I don't want to say correct one thing you said. Tina Louise um, had done a movie. I think it was kind of racy back in the day, probably okay. nothing now, but it was called God's Little Acre. So she was known um, pretty much for that movie. She was at the time, her agent approached, approached her about Gilligan's Island. She was doing... Um, something on Broadway with Carol Burnett. So oh, she, I didn't know that. Yeah, she had some some pretty serious credits too. Uh, the newbie would have been Dawn. Russell was sort of a, uh, he was like the star of a lot of B movies. He right. did a lot of Westerns. He did a lot of uh, the thing that came from outer space kind of movies, you know? So they all had a lot of, um, you know, a lot of uh, acting in their background and all that. But Tina, the way I understand the story, and I think I have it close to right, is that when Tina's agent approached her about doing the, um, the series, he told her, he, he pitched it to her this way. It's about a beautiful actress, a sexy actress who, you know, is on this, uh, on this three-hour tour on a boat with six other people, and, and the boat capsizes, and there's a shipwreck, and they end up on the island and the seven of them have to survive together. So obviously her assumption was that the show was built around the sexy actress right, who, right. the way it had been pitched to her. And so when, when she got there, I don't, I think at the beginning, she was a bit unhappy. I wasn't there, so I can't swear this, but I think she was a bit unhappy because it was an ensemble thing. It was, it, she wasn't featured all the time. I mean, once right. in a while. And, um, she went to Sherwood or somebody on her behalf went to Sherwood. No, she went to Sherwood because Sherwood told the story that she said to him, you know, I thought this was going to be about ginger and, and da 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 and all that. And Sherwood looks at her and he goes, Tina, the show isn't called Ginger's Island. It's called <laughs> Gilligan's Island. Why do you think that is? You know? So, but it was, you know, back at the very beginning when, um, the first season when the credits were the uh the movie star and the and rest, the rest. Right here on, yes bob is the one who took care of that bob went to them before the second se- this is how much they loved each other he went to the higher ups before the second season and he said look you can't have a cast of seven feature five of them and make the other two who are equally as important you can't make right. them and the rest. So if it's going to stay that way, I want to go to the tail end and I'll be and the rest with them. And the guys, went, you can't, you can't do that. I mean, you're Gilligan. It's, it's your island. You can't do that. And Bob said, figure out a way to make them part of the credits or put me in the back with the professor and Marianne. And so it wasn't even that huge of a change. You know, the movie star, the professor, and Marianne here on Gilligan's Isle. But Bob kind of took care of that because he really felt that the show was an ensemble show. Everybody was equally important, and they were. I mean, think about how different those characters were. And, you know, there was the sexy one for the men to ogle, and there was the sweet sweet farmer's daughter that everybody dreamed of marrying. They could take her home to mom and the rich couple that we couldn't identify with, but we sure could have fun with and, mm-hmm. and the really smart guy. I mean, there were, everything was represented 
in right. that show. And, and they were equally important. So I was always so proud that even though I wasn't around at that time, I was so proud that, that Bob did that when I heard the story. And that is, that is kind of special because I don't know if you would see somebody do that today. And, and as you said, it really wasn't a big change. I mean, no, it wasn't. It, it, it's it, and actually when you listen to it, you compare the first one, and the second one, it sounds like it's more natural with the second one and, and the does. rest sounds like they rushed it because they you were know, trying to I, get it on time. I just had this thought, you know, when they filmed the pilot, they filmed the pilot on Kauai in the Hawaiian islands. And when they filmed it, the professor and Mary Ann and Ginger were not in it. They weren't in the pilot. Oh, I didn't realize that. It was a high school science teacher played by, oh, what was his name? Handsome, handsome. John Gavin, I think was his name. And the girls' names, I'm not going to remember because they didn't do um, anything that I'm aware of after um, they were, I don't want to say they were fired. They were just let go or not brought back or something. But they were two secretaries. So maybe in the original version of the song, you know, the millionaire and his wife, the movie star and two secretaries, maybe that wouldn't have worked, you know, but when they changed it, when they, when they, uh, you know, brought the pilot back to the higher ups at, at CBS and they looked at it and they said, no, we, we need to replace these three. And they brought in a professor and a, and a sexy woman and a darling, you know, uh, right. Girl from the farm in Kansas. Uh, maybe then it lent itself. So maybe that's the reason. I don't know. It, it was just always very weird. Even as a young kid watching that show in black and white, the first season, even I as a kid would go like, well, that that's kind of weird. You know, why are they not talking why are they about not the there? Yeah, I think everybody felt that way. So yay, Bob. And, that, and again, that, again, that makes a lot of sense because it, it just didn't seem right. Now, when Bob was on the program, did he ever feel, and I and I I'm I'm presuming that he didn't, that some of the storylines were beneath him? I mean, there was one where there was a gorilla, some guy dressed up in a suit. I mean, I, th- one of my favorites is still when the rock band got stranded on there, and and all that, and them trying yeah. to do their own musical instruments and stuff like that. Did he ever think any of the storylines were beneath them? That was the mosquitoes. Yes. The mosquitoes, and that was a takeoff on the Beatles. the Beatles, obviously. And that is one of the only episodes that times Gilligan's Island. Other than that, Bob always—I'm I'm answering a different question. I'll get back. Okay. But Bob always felt that the show's longevity was partly due to the fact that, you, like every other show in the '60s, the cars, the telephones, the furniture, the house—all those things put those shows in a particular time period. Gilligan's Island, I mean, you could watch the color one today for the very first time and it would look absolutely like it belongs today, you know, because there was nothing to put it in any particular time period. So now what was your question? Oh, beneath them. No, I don't. Bob always, when he tells the story, he always said that he, he looked forward to every script because he wondered how it could be sillier okay. and, and make Gilligan kind of dumber than the last one did. I think he appreciated all that. Now, that doesn't mean that when the series went off the air and he was completely typecast yes. as that character, that there wasn't some frustration attached to that because he was young. Bob was only like 32 or 33 when the show went off the air. And so he was a young actor and he still wanted to, as the actors say, stretch mm-hmm. and play different parts. And because I met him working on stage, I got to see him do things that weren't so Gilligan driven, you know, right. and he was a good actor, but I'm mean, a great actor. But uh, but he wasn't after that television when they wanted him for a part. It was Gilligan ish, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that frustrated him for a while. And then, gosh, by the time I met him, uh, gosh, that would have been 10 years, I guess, after the show went off the air, uh, the original show went off the air. He had come to, he had, he had started getting fan mail 
and all through our marriage, he got fan mail from people telling him that they had had some kind of really difficult childhood. Either they were molested Mm -hmm. or, or their parents were drinkers or something bad was going on. And they thanked him over and over for the show because that was a half hour, maybe an hour after school in the day where they could sit down and get lost on the island and feel like they were safe. And that as more, and I'm telling you, a lot of letters came in like that, a lot. And way more than he ever would have dreamt. And he started understanding that what might've been just a little show to -hmm. him was really, you know, profound to people in the situations that people were living in. So he finally went, you know, if that's what I'm known for, that Maynard, he said, what could be better than that, you know? Now, I did find the other actors that were on the pilot of ah, Gilligan's you? Island. Uh, Kit Smythe played Ginger, yeah. and Nancy, Nancy McCarthy played Bunny. There wasn't right. even a Mary Ann in the first episode. No, no. And was the and was the first one called? Was she called Ginger? Yes, it was show? Ginger. Yes, uh, but she was a secretary. She wasn't a sexy. Right. The, they and did then, not have the sexy character. And then John John uh, Gabriel played the professor. Gabriel, I called him Wait, John Gavin. Yes. But the funny thing is, uh, Russell looks so much better as the professor because he fits that mold. Uh, yeah. Gabriel looked too attractive to be a high school um, <laughs> science teacher. All the girls in high school had been going crazy, <laughs> wouldn't they? Yeah. They would just be, whoa, I can't wait for that class. Um, <laughs> no, he was, he was like matinee idol, good looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he was. He was. So when you when you talk about Bob after Gilligan's Island goes off and again, it, it's unfortunate that that was he was typecasted, but I don't know how the money distribution was done back then. Were they still <laughs> getting royalties off the program or is that all gone and out the window? Oh, this just makes me laugh so hard. Um, it would have made Bob laugh, too, unless we were crying about it. One of the other. Right. Um, Bob. Uh, when I'm going to get back to Maynard for a second. Okay. When he, when he did Maynard, believe it or not, and that was a big show in its day, uh, he made $250 a week the first season. By the fourth season of Dobie Gillis, he was up to $750 okay. a week. Now, this is when you think nowadays people make millions an episode, mm-hmm. you know? So when he started Gilligan... He was making $750 a week. Second season, I think he made $1,250 a week. In the third season, he made $1,500 a week. And there have never been royalties. Wow. Residuals for Gilligan's Island. They were paid. If, if people out there listening and want, are old enough, they'll know that back in the day, you had the fall season. Mm-hmm. And then the fall season re-ran in the spring. Mm-hmm. Right. So he got paid for the original, the season. original season. And then the rerun in the spring, he got paid for I don't know if he got paid the same amount. You know, I don't know that I'll have to look at his contract and see, but he got, but he got paid for the second run that same year. Um, after that, when it was on the air, you know, during the seventies and the eighties and well into the nineties, when it was on the air, against itself on different channels yes. playing 18 times a day there was never any money wow. for that ever. because no. because right now it's playing on tv land mm-hmm. on the weekends and uh-huh. that's what I, I think is interesting because people would assume that you're seeing something from these programs other than no. just recognition of who bob was no which is not a which penny is really i've shady. never i've i've never seen a residual check of any kind for anything connected to Gilligan. Not even the movies now that I think about it. Hmm. I might have to look into that. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Now, when he did guest appearances on shows like ALF and Baywatch and and they used, uh, after he passed away, they used a clip of him on the Goldbergs and, oh gosh, he did all kinds of guest appearances. Roseanne, he did guest appearances on there. Um, those 
I get now the residuals you know, as the years go by, they get right, they get smaller and tinier. And I have literally people won't believe this because they think when you open a your mailbox and there's a residual in there, woo, you know, it's going to be, oh, it's going to be, you know, bank time. And I have gotten more than once a residual check for one penny. The postage costs more. <laughs> Way more. 25. You know, what, what is postage now? Like 35 times more than that? I yeah. don't know. It's just, um, and I don't, you know, I'm not trying to mess up their books or anything, but I can't go cash a check for a penny. <laughs> that just seems so weird. Well, Some of you- are people like me who are in the same boat and that, you know, they have to adjust their accounting all the time because the pennies that don't get claimed, you know. Well, if if you add them up, I mean, they may be worth about 10 bucks when you're done and you can well, buy a tank and a half of gas. That's about it. Or not even that. You could buy a gallon and a half of gas. Yeah. No, you can buy so, what? Two gallons, maybe. Yeah. If maybe. that, depending on where you're at. I know that's true. I know. I just find it interesting. You know, every once in a while when they were all alive, they would get, um, you know, kind of they start getting churned up because everybody had. Bob and I had a handicapped son who had to have full-time care. We were trying to deal with that. Dawn, who was very close to her mother, had a mother who was ill and she was taking care of everything for her mother. And we all could have used a residual or two. Right, you know, of course. I mean? And so every once in a while, they'd all get, you know, kind of stirred up about it. And, and oh, what are we going to do about this? We need an entertainment attorney that can, you know. But when you look at the contract, I looked at it a couple of years ago. And it's, you know, they didn't know in 1963 that there would ever be anything called a DVD right. or even a video mm-hmm. or certainly streaming right. or anything called Netflix or Amazon Prime or any of those things. And so they couldn't specifically put that in the contract. So what they did put was, however, this entity is used into perpetuity. Okay. So, and it's worded legally and much better than I just said it, but, but it, it covers it's like blanket covers anything that could ever be done with the product. Mm-hmm. And they would, you know, so I think it's, I think it's pretty ironclad. And now with everybody gone, I mean, there's just me. Well, Tina and is still Tina's alive. Still and of course, so, uh, no, go of ahead. The I'm castaway sorry. Wives, there, no, no, no. Of the castaway wives, there's, uh, Russell's wife and and myself, we're the only ones left. And, you know, I don't know how much headway we could make. Right. Uh, trying to get something like that done if they couldn't, if the castaways couldn't do it couldn't themselves. Do it. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that you refer to them as the castaways. Yes. Um, because that, that, that group. Now, how was it? Because I see you did too. Was it working for Sherwood Schwartz? Because I see the one movie you did called... Um, Oliver, or no, I'm sorry, the scamps. And uh-huh. it's it's quite interesting because Bob's in that too. And he plays Oliver Hopkins and you play Mandy. Yes. How, oh, how, I love that you know about it. Thank <laughs> you, Bill, so much. How oh, was so it, exciting? How was it working for Sherwood uh, Sherwood Schwartz? Sherwood was amazing. I mean, he was just um, you know, I got to know him through the three movies. Right. And for Bob had known him forever. Mm-hmm. And um, he was just, he had the greatest stories. It was so wonderful when they were filming and, you know, they'd be doing setups and everything and everybody just be sitting around and listening to Sherwood's stories about being a writer for Red Skelton and doing, you know, all that he worked with everybody in early television, you know, so that was always fun to listen to. Sherwood was so kind. The show Scamps, which was a pilot that Bob and I did for NBC. Um, now, this is how kind he was. I thought this was so cute. Uh, there were nine children in that show, and all the children were, were under nine years of age. And when you're working with a lot of kids like that, and only Bob would be that brave, I think. Um, when you're working with kids like that, and you're with them in every scene, um, you know, they. there were a couple, Joey Lawrence being one of them. Oh, wow. You I know, didn't realize that. Yeah. Wow. Joey was five years old. He was a pro from day one. He hit his mark, knew his lines, you know, was was a professional. But the other kids, a lot of them, they were darling and they were cute in the parts. But, you know, they had really tiny little uh, attention spans. Mm-hmm. They wanted to play. They didn't, you know, they weren't 
they weren't professional. Well, they were professional actors, but they, you know, they were kids. So we had this one little boy who just, he wouldn't hit his marks. He never knew his lines. He was constantly, you know, sure of what was having to take him aside and say, Damon, you have got to learn your party or you've got to. So finally one day when this kept going on and on, Sherwood took the little boy Damon into his office. He had on his desk, a great big map of the neighborhood of the town where the fictional town where we all lived. He had a fictional, a map of the fictional town. He, he pointed to, he showed Damon, he said, now, do you see this? This is Oliver's house. And Damon goes, okay. And you see this Damon right down the street, that's your house. And Damon said, yes, sir. And he goes, if you don't start hitting your marks and learning your lines, we're going to have to move you all the way over here to the other side of town. And you won't be able, <laughs> you won't, you won't be able to be at Oliver's after school anymore. Yes, sir. Okay. I mean, the visual helped the kid understand mm -hmm. that I better do it right if I want to be part of all this, you know, but that was sure, but he was just creative in the way he dealt with the kids and in the way he dealt with, with, he was always fair. Um, when they, when Gilligan's Island was canceled while they were on hiatus, uh, at the end of the third season, Bob had gone to Sherwood's office. He had a pile of scripts on his desk. Bob said, yeah, what are those? Are you writing for this, that, or the other? And Sherwood said, oh no, those are the four season scripts. He had the fourth season of Gilligan's Island all ready to go. Scripts were all written. That was unheard of from what right. Bob told me. So um, he was just, he, he was wonderful. He and his wife, Mildred, she was lovely. And, and he had great kids. All of his kids were, um, you know, amazing people to know. And I don't know, his daughter married, um, his daughter, Hope. And we went to this wedding and it blows me away. So I think at the time I didn't know. But she married, oh my gosh, what is this? Um, Lawrence Juber. And Lawrence Juber was like the lead guitarist for Paul McCartney and Wings. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which was like, whoa. Yeah. You know? uh, and they're still married to this day. And Bob and I went to that wedding, oh my gosh, back in the late 70s, I guess it was. So um, it was a great family. And I just feel so, yeah, I feel so blessed because um, the cast, everybody was wonderful. Sherwood was all the all the Schwartzes were wonderful. It was just a great time in my life and a and a great group to be part of and to get to know. Very blessed so, right here. So with the and I'm looking at a photograph from the I guess it was one of the stills from Scamps that mm -hmm. had Bob in it, Joey Lawrence, Alma Martinez from mm -hmm. 1982. And you look at Bob and he's standing there in slacks and a vest, and you can see the chain from his watch. He still looks like Gilligan, no matter what you do. It's still <laughs> Gilligan, and I mean, no it's how it had to, up, right? exactly. <laughs> how do you change him from one character to another? Because he was just so distinguished. At least when he was on the Many Loves of Dobie Gillis, he had the the goatee, right, and it was right. at least something different. And does he did he ever try to change his appearance for TV roles? What you mean, like? With facial hair, or, right, or, or with a haircut, hair or, or something. Yeah. No, no, I don't think he did. And in that, in that pilot that we did for NBC, Scamps, he, I mean, there was still some. The, the thing I loved about Bob because he had this in his real life as a real mm -hmm. person. Um, he had a curiosity. He and Dawn both had this. His curiosity was unlimited. I mean, he was curious about everything and everybody. And I mean, if he met you down at the hardware store and you got to talking, he would be genuinely interested in who you were and what you did and what your occupation was and if you liked it or if you didn't. Um, he was, and, and he kept that wonder. He told me once, he told me a story once and I write about this in my book. Um, he told me a story once and I, we had been married maybe 20 years. And he said to me one day, Dreamo, do you ever think about the little girl that you used to be? Do you ever think about little Dreamo? And I went, no, I, I don't think so. What do you mean? And he said, look, he said, I do this all the time. He said, not every day, but, but often. I sit down 
I remembered little Bobby. I remember what he liked, what he didn't like, what made him happy, what games he liked to play. And he said, I give that little boy a hug because I am who I am because he was who he was. And I, literally it brought me to tears. I was all teary. And I said, you do that all the time? And he said, you really need to start doing that. Remember little Dreama and love on her a little bit because she is so much a part of who you are now. And I've never forgotten that. So I tell you that story to point out the fact that Bob never lost the wonder of a child. Mm -hmm. He never lost touch with the child inside himself. And to me, that is such a beautiful quality to have. So as the character of Oliver in, in Scamps, he was dealing with children. So he had to be a responsible adult, but he never, even in that character, he kept that wonder alive. The wonder of, he was seeing everything through the children and remembering you know, himself that way. So um, no, he never changed his appearance, not purposely. Okay. And you, I don't know if you're aware of this, Bill, but I my book just came out in March. It's called, I don't know if you can see it there. I did see that, yes. Okay, Gilligan's Dreams. And and the reason I wrote it, um, Bob was an amazing human being, not, not a perfect human being, none of us are, but we had a handicapped child, like I mentioned. Yes. And Bob set aside everything for us, the two of us to give 24 hour, 24 seven care 365 days for 20 years mm -hmm. uh, to our son. And I wanted people who love the show and who love him to know him as a man and not Gilligan or Maynard or any of the other characters he played, but to know him as the wonderful father that he was to his son, the wonderful husband he was to me. I thought that was really important. And people tell me all the time, that once they pick this book up, they couldn't put it down. Put it down. So, and there's no greater compliment to an author, I'm pretty sure. And and do do me a favor, hold that up again, because okay. the photograph is of you too. When was that photograph taken? Because I've seen this, and I was that curious. Was taken, that was taken. That actually, we are on the love boat, and we are on. I don't know if you can see up here in the corner the well. The Hollywood lights right there. Yes, yes. We were uh, we were on the dance floor of the love boat. Okay. And doing an episode. And one of their photographers came around and he was just taking pictures, you know, and he took a whole um a whole proof sheet of pictures of us, and that was our favorite one. And I just always loved look at this. Look how he's looking at me. <laughs> now you just look at that. Yes, what you're woman right. isn't gonna love that. Yeah, that's right. He so was, uh, are there other photos in the book too or is it uh, oh yeah oh yeah are it's there full of photos okay all kinds of photos of us on stage together there are photos of um certainly personal private photos photos of us with our son photos of bob's mom made it into the book she's in the book with the, oh she would love this i wish she were alive to see it but bob's mother uh is in here in a photo yeah. with glenn ford from oh. the golden age of, of uh, Hollywood. Uh, we went to Glenn. I had forgotten about this until I was writing the book and ran across the picture of Graham with Glenn Ford. I, tell me how this happens. I had forgotten that we had met Glenn Ford. I had totally forgotten that. And I was going through pictures and I went, wait a minute. This has to be in the book, how we met Glenn Ford how Bob was taking me to Glenn Ford's house and not telling me where we were going so that when the door opened, I would be like, you know, which is exactly what I was when I saw Glenn Ford standing there. I mean, my gosh. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of the book. It's one, it won in New York state at the New York book festival. It won best autobiography, best memoir. Okay. So it is an award-winning book. And I'm really proud of it. And anybody who loved Bob and was a fan of Bob's, I do recommend it. Not just because it was mine, but it's the private story that people don't know. Oh, interesting. So um, I'm, I'm looking through a list of things that Bob did, and, and I hate to say it, but there's things that I forgot about that just popped into my mind. And one of them, and I don't know if he ever talked to you about this, but doing um, Dusty's Trail, 
which yes. was, in my opinion, a remake of Gilligan's Island in the Old exactly. West. Exactly. <laughs> With Forrest Gilligan's Tucker. Island on a wagon train. Yes. Instead um, of the boat capsiz- cap- capsizing, <laughs> the, the covered wagon gets lost. Right. From the wagon train. Right. <laughs> Did he have an issue with doing that, revisiting the old character? Or did he just, he goes, that's what I can do. And that's what I'm going to do. You know, it's, you have to work. Yeah. And sometimes you have to, you have to take what you're offered. Okay. And that's what happened after Gilligan. He was always offered Gilliganish parts. Now in this particular Dusty's Trail, I mean, Sherwood Schwartz, basically, because it was Sherwood again. Yeah. basically recreated the whole show, put it out West, out in the desert. Bob got to ride a horse. He loved that part. <laughs> um, and he had, uh, see, there was the wagon master who was played by Forrest Tucker. So right. there you go. Alan Hale right there. I'm not going to remember all the other actors names, but there was a saloon girl, which was like ginger. There was a school marm, which was like Marianne. There was a rich couple. So it really was Gilligan's Island, a redo of that. It was, and it didn't, it didn't, um, I'm trying to think why it didn't, but it, I think it was on for like two seasons. It never really caught on, you know? Okay. Now the third series he did was called the good guys. And that was with Herb Edelman and Joyce Van Patten. And that was not Sherwood. I'm not sure actually who the producer was of it. Um, that one, strangely enough, Bob always laughed at this. That one ran for two seasons and it didn't do well because it was up against the Brady Bunch. <laughs> which, oh, one, well. which was a Sherwood George show, you know. So which I understand that. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. That was so popular, you know. Um, but he was he the programming that he was on again is just amazing. And then something that that the younger audience that I have may be familiar with, because I can't believe it's been on the air since 1998 was he was the voice of himself on the Simpsons. Yeah. And he was he there. And, and I do remember that, which is very interesting that he is now into today's pop culture by being part of the Simpsons without really being here. And that has to be something for you to see, especially if that would ever come on again. And in the animated drawing of him. You know, it's amazing to me. I mean, Gilligan's Island is, is, the prime example of pop culture for one thing, but it, I mean, I'll be sitting watching a series today. Now I'm trying to Gilmore girls is one of my favorites. I love that show. Yes, I do. too. So do you, I love that show so much. Oh my, I'm silly over that. The way people are silly over Gilligan's Island, but I love that show. I love Lauren Graham and I love Alexis. And I just think they're also awesome. Uh, so well acted and, and, and just well-written and all that. But, um, I was watching it the first time I watched through the whole seven seasons. And there are two different times during the run of that show that they reference Gilligan's Island. Oh, really? And one is when um, Rory and the redhead, the troublemaking girl at the school, if you remember the series. I remember who it is, yeah. They're having an argument in the bathroom at school. And, and Rory says to her, okay, Ginger you know, because she's a redhead. And then they reference it again later. I think Kurt buys uh, Luke's boat and he comes with a captain's hat and he talks about a three hour (laughs) tour and all that, you know? So it's amazing to me to this day, that's the one series I can think of, but I hear it referenced often, even now, you know, there'll be a reference to one of the characters or to the show itself or to the minnow or a three hour tour reference or something. And um, a lot of current sitcoms and, and shows. It's amazing. It's just amazing. So, and, and I, and I want to ask you about Don before, before we end today. But I, I had to yeah. come across this because the reason I got in touch with you is because I'm, I'm also a big radio buff. Yes. And there is a station in Princeton, West Virginia, uh-huh. and they call themselves Little Buddy Radio. And, and, and that's you. That's me. That's yes. You. So, have- so you're you live in Princeton, West Virginia. I do, and boy, do you do your research. I am, I am really kind of mind boggled. This is amazing. 
scabs, you know, little buddy radio. <laughs> 17, I've had this radio station for 17 years. Bob and I started it. There was a time in 2004 when the FCC opened the window right. for regular people. You probably remember that mm-hmm. to have their own radio stations. And Bob and I decided we wanted to do it. We wanted it to be now it's it's evolved uh, into something more than this. But it uh, we wanted it to be an oldie station. And this was 17 years ago. You know, um, we had just got it barely up and running when Bob was diagnosed and then we went through all that and he passed away. So Little Buddy Radio has really been my baby all these years. But um, when we were launching the radio station, I think it was the New York Post. If I'm not, it was it was something in New York. And I think it was the Post that did a story on Bob launching a radio station. And they said, gosh, Gilligan's launching a radio station. It must be Little Buddy Radio. And we went, it must be. <laughs> we, yeah. we like that, you know. Now we have call letters and a frequency like everybody else does, but, uh, but everybody, everybody knows it now as little buddy radio. Uh, what's interesting. If you get an email from somebody with my name, it was me about formats and one of the stations I work for <laughs> just to let you know, because I work okay. for an oldies. I work for an oldie station too, that we're, we're trying to get syndicated. It's called hall of fame music radio. And I sent you an email a while ago and I did not realize you were the one operating it. So that's amazing to me. It's a small uh, world. Did I get that email? Oh, 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 <laughs> no, it might've gone into like a junk folder or something. Yeah. So, or yeah. You'll have so to anyway, resend it. or you have to resend it or something. <laughs> because but yeah, you know, now little buddy radio started out being all about the sixties, the seventies right? and just touching into the eighties. And then as we, as I went along, Bob was gone and I was, it saved my life. Little Buddy Radio did after he died. And um, I started deciding, you know, it's going to be about good music. Mm-hmm. I don't care what genre. I don't care what decade. It doesn't matter to me. I want it to be, I want it to be a station that when you listen, you are never sure what you're going to hear next. Gotcha. And people, yeah. mu- musicians love my radio station because of that. They love the fact that that they don't know what's, I mean, you might hear big band, you might hear, mm-hmm. you know, top 40, if it fits the station, not just any of the top 40 stuff. Now it would have to be like Bruno Mars or somebody like that. Right. You right. But, um, but I, it, I'm telling you that radio station saved me when I thought when I didn't know how to go on, it kept me going. And I have a very, you know, obviously soft place in my heart and, I'm really happy. You can listen to it online. I don't know if you know that. Oh, I have listened to it online. I've, I've, I've actually, I actually found it a while ago and I never thought when I saw the wet on the website, I saw Uh about the book and I said, you know what? I'm just going to email and just see what happens. And little did I know you got back to me, which I was just tickled pink. Did uh, I? I don't remember this. (laughs) Okay. I got back to you. Yay. Dreama. I'm so proud of me. Yay. Good. Well, did you well if you didn't get website? back to me, if you didn't get back to me, you wouldn't be talking to me right now. Because- oh, okay. Oh, there is a method to the madness here. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, but you uh, wrote me on the web. You wrote me on I did, the website. I wrote web and on Facebook. Yeah. So I got a, um, okay, so the Facebook, Facebook, I talk definitely to, get it. Yeah. You got that. But I yeah, did contact okay. you. And again, I thought it was really interesting that you're doing this. And again, why Princeton, West Virginia of all places in the world? You know, that, that was a question that, that I asked myself early on and now I could not be happier to be here. I'm telling you, but no, no, no. And I was born in Bluefield, West Virginia, no. which is about, yeah you're in a stylistic song that talks it sings about there you go babe i'm telling you that's my town right there that's oh we were talking about this just the other day he was born Born, in a theater theater in bluefield west virginia yeah rock and roll baby baby. by the stylist yes sir i do i do it I do a classic oldies program on the station I'm at, and I played that Sunday night. And I love the song because where I'm located at, I'm just, I'm about 15, 20 miles north of Morgantown. And uh-huh. I'm just over the PA state line. And I've been oh, through. so you're kind of a neighbor. Yes. Because okay, I've been, I'm in Fayette County, just north of Morgantown, just south of Uniontown. And when I heard that, it just stuck in my head going, 
why would anybody be singing about Bloomfield or Bluefield about anything else in the world? We are trying, so. they must have played here. You know, back in the day, um, even in my young life, Bluefield, believe it or not, was a happening place. And back, it, uh, we have, I, I've done a lot of research on this. We have a 14 story West Virginia hotel in downtown Bluefield that okay. at one time, at the turn of the century, was the highest skyscraper on the East Coast. Seriously, Bigger wow. than New York. I mean, we had at one time a little town called Bramwell, which is right down the road, had more millionaires per capita than any place in the United States. Now we're going back decades and decades and decades. But Bluefield used to be a place where, um, let's just say Etta James, because I know she was here. Yes. Etta James would perform in New York, get on a train. We were big in the railroad down here. Get on a train, come perform in Bluefield, and then go from Bluefield to either Chicago or on down to Atlanta. I mean, Bluefield was a place at one time. Now, it's still a beautiful place. Um, and when, when we had our son and we were doing full-time care, uh, Bob, we were living in Vegas when we weren't loving Vegas, too hot. To Sam, right, you know, all of that. So we wanted to move back east and move someplace where we could take care of Colin, where it would be off the beaten path and all that. Mm -hmm. So Bob said, let's go look at your hometown. And I said, seriously, you want to come back? And he's like, yeah, let's go look. So we did. We loved it. Little town next to it, Princeton, which is nine miles away, where I live now, is where we found a house on top of a mountain all by itself, where we could have peace and quiet and do this thing. And let me tell you, there have been times when I go, gosh, nothing ever happens here. And I love it <laughs> because I get to go out and do book signings and I get right, to do gotcha. things. And then coming home is wonderful, you know. But and remind me to tell you something about book signing in two seconds. But but we would, um, oh gosh, now I lost my train of thought telling you that. Ah, what was I saying? Bill, help. You, you were talking about living there and coming back after book signings and coming back to... Um... Oh, yes, yes, yes. But after 2020 and COVID-19. Oh, I'm sure. I have never been so happy to live in the small town of Princeton yeah. on top of a mountain all by myself. I mean, it is perfect. And I just know that God brought me back here for a reason. I know that now. So, so um, I'm, 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 this is funny. You're talking. I'm looking at the map. You're actually only four hours and five minutes from me. Um and it is straight down 79. So it's not that far of a drop. Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Next Tuesday, see a week from today. Uh, do you know who Homer Hickam is? Best-selling author. Oh, yeah, he yeah, wrote, yeah, yeah. He wrote the book Rocket Boys that was made into the movie October Sky. Yes. Okay. Homer and I are going to be doing book signings together. We're going to be in Morgantown next Tuesday. We're going to be in Bridgeport. We're going to uh, be in Parkersburg. We're going to be in Charleston and Huntington. So I'm going to be really close to you next Tuesday. What, you got to come what, see us. You need to send me that information because I will. I will come see you. That would be great. Wouldn't that be so much fun? That, I would have. I would enjoy that. And then you, when I introduce myself, you'd say, "Everybody, I don't know who that is." It's just. But anyway, Bill, who? But, well, I know a lot of bills. I don't know which I, one that. I get that a lot. I get that a lot. <laughs> but that's that's funny because, um, like I said, I'm only about. Um, 35 minutes north of Morgantown into PA. And then oh, looking at awesome. this, it that's do you know the, that do you know in Morgantown? I want to say it's I don't know if this is what it's called. It's like the Hallmark bookstore. Do you know is it I'm, in is it in um the Mountaineer Mall or is it yeah, I don't know for sure? That's okay. what I don't know. I'll have to find out because we are gonna be at the Hallmark bookstores, whatever that is. Okay. All, we don't have that down here. So whatever that is up there, right, gotcha. that's where we're going to be in all these locations. So um, I would love for you to come down and say hi. And I introduce you to Homer, who is the most, he has a new book just coming out. Um, actually, the official release is in a week called Don't Blow Yourself Up. You know, he worked for NASA. He, you have to, his story is amazing. He's somebody else you should talk to sometime. Oh, Dreama, when that happens, please send me the information because again, 
my audience is throughout southwestern Pennsylvania, and you were going to be so close. It would be a shame that we didn't come see you because I think think that would be uh, wonderful. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you, and I noticed on some of the stuff I I saw that you were very close to Don Wells. And when you would do things, it would be Marianne and Mrs. Gilligan when you would (laughs) sign. She passed away this past summer. And she passed away on December 30th. Oh, I'm sorry. It's it's going to be a year. It's going to be. Yeah. Wow. That was Almost, quick. Yeah. It's been and 10 months. T- it, 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 again, that time flies when stuff like that happens. But how much did you talk to Dawn? Um, was it a regular thing? Did you see her occasionally? How did that work? We were really close friends for 45 years. Bob was very close to, before I ever knew them, he was very close to Don and Russell. They did personal appearances together right. all the time. Um, then as we started losing cast members, you know, we lost Natalie and then we lost Jim and then we lost Alan. And then we went a long chunk of time and then we lost Bob. And as we lost cast members, Don and I just became closer and closer. And after losing Bob, we became very, very close. I mean, she would come here and and to West Virginia and stay with me. She had a friend that she would spend time with in Roanoke, Virginia, and I would go down and stay with them. And, and uh, you know, she lived on the West Coast. I lived on the East Coast. So, you know, we didn't see each other all the time because she was on the road all the time. I mean, this mm-hmm. woman never stopped. But we were dear, dear close friends. I just, we would do personal appearances together as Marianne and Mrs. Gilligan, you know, and it was so much fun because, um, I don't know, it was just like two, when you see pictures of us together, it's like the dark and the blonde of everything. Right. You know, yeah. we, and, and we would have, I mean, we'd, we would do girl talks until the wee hours of the morning, <laughs> you know, we just, we just had the best time together. And I was uh, stunned actually when. Um, the word came that she had passed away. I was, she was 82. So when somebody is 82, and that will include me someday when I get there, um, it's not a complete and total surprise. You know what I mean? It's, and she lived a wonderful life, a long life, a full life, a joyful life. She was just, she had a wonderful life. So that was all the blessing. I, um, but it still came as a surprise because there was nothing leading up to it saying that she could pass away. Right. You know, with Bob, he was sick for six months and, and I could tell Dawn and Russ, you know, I don't know if he's going to mm-hmm. make it or, you know, with her, it was just suddenly she was gone. And what's interesting about that is she looked really good because she was doing a lot of TV appearances with TV land when they were remarketing Gilligan's Island to a new audience and yes. she, she was on TVs constantly. And then all of a sudden this happened. Yeah. You, and, you uh, look at pictures of her. If you look at my Facebook page, I put up a, a memory of her yesterday because yesterday would have been her birthday. Yeah. And I put up a little, a little uh, collage of pictures of the two of us together. Most of those pictures were, she would have been, well, let me think. She would have been mid to late seventies and some of them. And one of them, the bottom right one, she had, that was on her 80th birthday. And I look at her and I go, there is no way mm-hmm. anybody would ever look at that woman and say she's 80 years old. She had, she was full of them and vigor. She had a life force. You know how people, there are people who just have a right. life force that you can't imagine ever going away. She was one of those people. So beautiful until the day she passed. I mean, just gorgeous she looked like Marianne always you know there was never a time that she got so old that you would look at her or looked so old that you would look at her and think hey, is that that? Marianne? She, yeah. you know she always looked like Mary. I mean she's just beautiful uh, now do you keep in touch with Tina Louise because I heard there was some friction between everybody and her um no she never she I have no I've never I've only been around her three times. And um, one was a visit to the White House and we got a White House tour. So um, that was probably the longest time I was around her. 
um, she's always been very sweet to me. When Bob passed away, she sent cards and, you know, and all of that. Um, she's always been very nice. However, she just didn't, initially, she didn't like being known for Gilligan's Island. Now, this is my understanding. Um, she was an actress and she wanted to stretch and do other things and, right. and was kind of pigeonholed. And I think that was a problem at first. I think later on, like Bob, she got to the place where she was like, well, you know, this isn't bad. I mean, if I have to be known for something, this isn't bad. But she just never stayed in touch with any of the rest of us ever. I think she and Dawn maybe once in a while because they worked together so much. Right. Um, I think maybe once in a while they, you know, kind of caught up, but not not on a regular basis and not. Um, I don't know. I don't know. She just uh, she's never somebody that I felt like I like I would not feel like I could call her pick right. up the phone and call her and mm -hmm. say, Hey, Gina, dream of Denver. How you doing? You know, because I just never got to know her that well. So. Well, Dreama, it's <laughs> been an hour and this has flown by so quickly. And oh, I you didn't know you were getting a talker, did you? <laughs> hey, I love it when they, <laughs> when they, when my guests talk, because it makes it easier on me. I can sit and listen, but it is again, a talk show, right? That's yeah, it, is it is a talk show. I, I appreciate it. And you are wonderful. And I wish you the best of luck with the book and Thank everything you. else that you're doing. And I'm going to try to make it out next Tuesday. Once I figure what times you're going to be there. And yeah, I, will... see, I don't know that yet. I'll find out and I'll let you know. And we I will readjust email. my we've schedule. Emails, right? Yeah, we, so we can get it back and forth. On texting, it, we've done that too. We've done that too. We have done it all. Okay. <laughs> all right. We are, we're good to go. I just want to make sure that everybody knows that uh, Christmas is coming up. Yes. I have my book, Gilligan's Dreams, uh, at bobdenver.com. That's not hard to remember. You can get it autographed if you order it there. And I don't know if you know about this. No, but I don't. I have an award-winning children's book inspired by Bob. This is the sweetest book, guys. I'm not kidding. Not because it's mine. My illustrator was awesome. It's wonderful. It's at bobdenver.com. It's great for um, newborn, if you're going to read out loud to right. them, to maybe eight, maybe nine years old. It's just a wonderful, wonderful book. And let me, I'm going to show you one thing. Do I have time? Yeah, sure. To show you one thing. You know, the book is about, it's called Four Bears in a Box. And it's about um, how children, in this case, bears, love boxes. They play with that faster mm -hmm. than they play with whatever came out of the box. And so these bears are good bears. They mind mom. They do their chores. And they get a great big cardboard box in the garage as a reward for being good. And in their imagination, the box becomes all kinds of things. It's a ship and a mountain they can climb and... It's a rocket ship and all of this. And then I'm going to put this up so you can see it. It becomes a hot air balloon. And, can, <laughs> and where do they go? There's Gilligan standing on the you island waving. Gilligan? Yes. Yeah. And he's on the back of the book. Bob inspired this book. So we wanted to make sure. And these, just really quickly, uh, you might not be able to see those very well. Yeah, I well. can see them. But those Sadie, Clyde, are, and Boo. Yeah. The, those are Bob's original pencil sketches oh wow of how he thought the bear should look so this is a really special book for mm -hmm. many many reasons and gilligan's dreams they're both available at bobdenver.com autograph if you want them for christmas i mean we do have holidays coming up the order will come straight to me and i can get it right off to you supply and demand i don't know about all that but i i can get what i have off to you and if you're in West Virginia next week or on Morgantown, Parkersburg and all that, you'll be book signing. And yeah. again, that is fantastic. Dreama, thank you very much. I really enjoyed this. And I'd love to have you back on again, because I'm sure there's other things that we didn't talk about. Oh, we didn't talk about Honor Flight that I started <laughs> in West Virginia. And there's all kinds of things. I can go on all day. So, <laughs> but no, again, but Bill Alexander, I really like you. You have been so well, much thank fun. You. Thank I'm you. I'm glad. And I'm, I'm glad you were able to join me today. And I really appreciate it. you have a great rest of your day. 
I will and I'll, see you and next I'll talk Tuesday. To you Tuesday. Yes, I'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Okay. <laughs> well, a big thank you to Dream of Denver for joining us today, talking about Bob. I had a blast. And also those of you in southwestern Pennsylvania, northern West Virginia, again, like she said, she will be in uh, Morgantown, West Virginia next week, next Tuesday to sign books. Once I have all that information, I will share it with you on Facebook, on the website, everywhere so you can go out and see her because she was a pleasure to talk to so Dreama, thank you very much thank you for you guys for watching and listening and we'll talk to you next time here one-on-one -on -one with bill alexander Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.